When organizations are assessing technology purchases to improve their security posture, it's easy to get overwhelmed. What's the right technology to solve a particular problem? What vendor? What price? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Mark Eggleston, CISO of Health Partners Plans. Mark will be sharing some of his technology procurement tips to ensure that his organization is assessing and ultimately picking vendors or solutions that best meet HPP's security needs and budget. So Mark, it's early 2018. What's on your shopping list for security technologies this year? What sorts of issues are you trying to solve? Here at Health Partners Plans, we're always trying to make sure that security does its job and makes things easier for our users, our members, our vendors, any of the people that we're, you know, we classify as our customers. So we recently put in a secure email gateway last year that was loads better than our prior one and has really just helped us get rid of not only phishing emails but also gray mail, that kind of email. It could be a lot of vendor solicitations, just unwanted email that kind of walks the line between spam and possibly useful information. So that was great. And of course, does impersonation protection and helps us get closer to fully implementing DMARC controls. So that's been really helpful. And this year, we're out of the gate working with a uh, CASB provider and tuning that configuration and trying to get as much out of that implementation around Q2 this year. So now, Mark, I understand that your team developed an approach at HPP that allows you to be creative and flexible and to get the most bang for your buck in your budget when you evaluate technology purchases. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I want to stress first that it's all about people, process, and technology, and in that order. And so while technology should be the least important out of your three resources, it is something where a lot of CISOs and a lot of security folks kind of go to first because it's exciting. It's exciting to see the art of possible and what some of these real innovative vendors are doing. And, you know, I'll admit it too, we all like our toys. So it's really fun to look at technology. We have developed a variety of approaches. We've done RFIs, you know, request for information, RFPs, request for proposals, and those have been helpful. In today's software-as-a-service, agile-type workplace. We've done less of those now, and just because it takes so much time to go through those things, I do believe that it's still very, very helpful to document your deep requirements, those maybe three to six things you really want to get out of a product or a technology platform you're looking at, then rank those and score those. And sometimes we do share those as a a simple Excel worksheet to have the vendor fill out before we sit down, so they have an understanding, too, before they demo something to us, what it is we're looking for. Looking at the other way around, having the vendor come in and just steal or hijack 60 or 90 minutes of your time, we found that to be less fruitful than a direct approach where we get our ducks in a row first before going to market. I think the other piece, too, here to stress is that this should really be as a follow-up from your risk analysis. It's what HIPAA mandates, and a lot of people have been deemed from OCR on, so Look at those gaps from your last risk analysis and see if there's technology things that could address those in an efficient and, you know, time-sensitive manner. The other things we've been trying to do in addition to CASB is take advantage of more cloud platforms, uh, specifically Office 365. So I think that's been helpful to us as well. But back to how we kind of develop that. We typically, in addition to getting those requirements, we come up with a kind of elevator speech, if you will. It's a brief paragraph on how we could sell getting this technology to someone like a CEO. 
And that really helps us kind of get everybody on the same page and rally around the same thing on why we're doing this. One of the other pieces that we do is once we have this worksheet completed, we'll get the teams back together to go through their scorecards around the roundtable and actually say the things that they liked and that say the things they didn't like. I think that's really important that no one's going to hit it out of the park. In fact, if I have a vendor magazine that says there's nothing that the vendor can work on better, if I have an analyst or engineer that says it was perfect, I really push them to come up with something that could be seen as constructive criticism too because we really need to think critically and, and not everybody's going to hit all your requirements 110%. It's just not feasible to think they could. But at any rate, when folks are going through their scorecards, I don't like to see them beforehand, and I don't like anybody to aggregate them until after we meet, because that gives people an opportunity to, to verbally kind of put a little bit of quality comments around their quantification scores that really can help persuade us one way or the other. And it's easy also to see where people uh, lie with these things. Any other critical steps involved? Other things we found to be helpful, vendors will always want you to do a POC. In fact, a lot of times that's what I get right out of the gate. In my experience, POCs are expensive. It can be expensive to get an NDA or other contract required to do these pieces. It can be expensive in your team's time to work through this and either rack the appliance or get the configuration set up in there. And ideally, you don't want to go straight to that because there again, the vendor's in control. You should be figuring out what requirements you have and the technology that fits those requirements. And then as a last step, go to POC. If you shortlist three to four vendors, hopefully you're doing one POC, maybe two at the most, because you should have a really good indication of which vendor you're going to go with. Other things we found out to be helpful here, that the POC can take a lot of time too, and that's another reason to just keep it at one or two. Other things we'd like to do, when we figure out the cost, and I like to think of cost last, I think it's important to get a ballpark estimate because it's just truly, if you're a, a small shop and you can't afford that million-dollar solution, there may not be much need to look into that. But vendors can come down considerably in their initial pricing, especially if it's at the end of their fiscal year with their inability and a position to bargain more. So again, I don't like to think of price as a high factor out of the gate in an assessment because so much of it can be negotiated. The only thing, again, keep in mind is if it's a cost prohibitive uh, vendor, you know, several times over what your budget is, you know you can't do that. So when we do get down the cost, there's several things I like to look at. I like to make sure that look at the actual training because some vendors provide training for free. Others provide sometimes expensive week-long classes on the other coast that you're located in. So getting your staff there and trained and traveling expenses can sometimes add up rather quickly. And then sometimes they have beginner, intermediate, and expert classes. So just multiply those factors times three. And then also don't forget to figure in staff turnover, which can happen now in this ultra-competitive market we have with the security personnel. What about managed security service providers? Where does that fit in? If I can find a vendor that can do things better than my own team and then also cheaper than my own team, that's a great thing to do. And typically you do this on operational tasks that are less sexy than some other things. And that helps your in-house staff get more engaged in higher-level tasks and sometimes more exciting things. For example, SIM, uh, having a managed soccer security operations center, is something that's been out there for a number of years and is usually cheaper than having to staff your own SOC. Another one would be incident response services, having a vendor come in and use some 
you know, highly technical forensic tools is a hard skill set to get off the street and maintain, but having a retainer to have somebody else come in and do those things makes a lot of sense. But back to other costs for a project or implementation, I think you have to look at just that too, the implementation cost. And it's not just the initial configuration, it's also the ongoing maintenance of the, of the product. Some products, when you update the console, then you update the databases, requires external assistance. Some other solutions, specifically those software as a service, can be much easier to own and maintain. But make sure you put in those prices as well. And speaking of prices, make sure that you factor in the hardware at cost, whether it's appliance to stack in your colo or data center, or whether it's a VM to build within your own infrastructure or somewhere else. Also, do you need specialized DBA to help you own and administer the database? Mark, what about when it comes to the decision between working with an established, well-known vendor versus a new vendor? And does it depend on what sorts of technology you're buying? If it's an emerging technology, do you pretty much need to be willing to work with a newer company? Well, I think big companies and little companies can come up with emerging technology. In fact, the bigger companies sometimes can have deeper pockets for R&D so they can come to the market quicker than some other ones. But the same can be said for different reasons for smaller vendors. So a smaller vendor may be more nimble. A smaller vendor may be more hungry to earn your business and really have a great idea that sometimes becomes harder to get through in a larger, more political environment. So to get back to one of your original questions there is, you know, which one do we go with? I think you have to look at both of them for the pros and the cons. A lot of small companies that we've worked with even not been on Gartner's Magic Quadrant. Uh, we've been able to work with them, and they've been very responsive to getting our feedback implemented in the product. So you actually work with these smaller vendors and help them craft and roadmap their product. And they can be very, if you're a fan and advocate of their software or their product, they can uh, really be responsive to your feedback request. That's been really helpful. And of course, you know, you lock in a nice cheaper rate. One of my favorite clauses in a contract is the renewals won't go up more than a CPI or 5%. And that way you kind of get a capped renewal rate. So if this vendor takes off and becomes the next great thing, you don't pay the penalty for going into business with them as an early adopter. So that's something that we found very helpful. I think it's also in this day and age, and it's such a crowded market out there for security solutions. My phone rings off the hook and emails get blocked left and right from uh, new vendors trying to sell the next great thing. But these new vendors, when they do have a good product and make it well, they inevitably get bought out by a larger vendor or consolidation occurs. So that's something to be aware of too. You know, where is this vendor and their roadmap to being acquired by somebody else? So these are all good things to think about. And finally, Mark, is there one mistake that you've made in the past that you've learned from that you think other entities need to try to avoid? Wow. I don't know if I have enough time to enumerate them all here, but there was one time when we implemented, actually there's a couple times, uh, where we've had to write the CEO letters to say that, hey, these are things that weren't uh, delivered in the statement of work. I like to also negotiate all the MSAs and statement of works beforehand before they go to legal to make sure I can defend and support them and, and also put in some of the contractual requirements I've learned through the years. But that would be the, the one thing to really look out. Make sure that you have all this cost that we talked about earlier. 
make sure they're spelled out in the statement of work as far as what services they're going to be providing. And sometimes don't be afraid to escalate your concerns up to the very top. In both the occasions that I've had to do that in my career, it has gotten a, a, a dropship team uh, on site to make the situation better because a lot of these vendors know that their reputation is at risk uh, when they don't have a happy customer and will do what they need to do to make it right. But having the statement of work and having those terms understood before you get in the business is one of the high success factors. Thanks, Mark. I've been speaking to Mark Eggleston. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.